Hello, I'm Omaya Jones, and this is the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast for Friday, December 15th, 2023. This week, Editor-in-Chief Austin Bailey and Managing Editor Benji Hardy talk about the State Board of Education's decision to improve increased funding for the West Little Rock High School, controversy with the State Board of Prisons, and we have our endorsements. But first, Austin Bailey talks to city reporter Mary Hennigan about a number of goings-on across the city. Mary Hennigan, uh, the city's best Little Rock reporter. Um, so Mary, lots of lots of news this week. You were extremely busy. Um, the bi- the biggest story seemed to come out of the port of Little Rock. Uh, Dassault Falcon Jet announced a big expansion. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Hi, Austin. So Dassault Falcon Jet announced this week that they would plan for 50 more years in Little Rock. Commissioners with the Bill and Hillary Clinton National Airport approved another 50-year lease, um, and it noted that Dassault would add 24 acres to their plot by January 2030. That expansion is expected to cost $100 million and bring 800 jobs to the region. So earlier this week, me and about probably 300 other people gathered into an airport hangar um, to hear the news from Dassault CEO, Governor Sarah Sanders, and other state and local leaders. And then afterward, Sanders toured one of those shiny new Falcon 8X jets, um, but unfortunately I did not get to go in as well. Well, um, yeah, I saw some I saw some pictures of the governor at the, at the controls of that plane. Um, okay, big news, that sounds, sounds pretty good. Um, and then there was some not so good news, uh, officer involved shooting, um, involving some Little Rock officers and, um, there was a, a deja vu component. Can you tell me about that one? Yeah. So this was the fourth officer involved shooting with the Little Rock, Little Rock police department this year. It was the second to end with the death. The victim was 38 year old Michael Johnson and the officers involved were Mark Ray and Dakota Faircloth. Um, As you mentioned, the deja vu moment was that these two officers were also involved in another shooting earlier this year, Um, but more on that in a second. So the December shooting occurred Monday the 18th, the 11th, excuse me, around 3 p.m., and it was at a day's inn across from the Arkansas State Police headquarters. Before the Little Rock police officers arrived, they were told that several shots had been fired and some had been fired toward the hotel. I actually drove by a few days later, and I could see bullet holes um, in room 110 on the door. When Officer Ray and Faircloth arrived, they found Johnson and asked him to comply with their orders. And according to a report, Johnson then reached for his waistband. So this is when the officers shot at him. And do we know what he was reaching for? We do not at this time know what he was reaching for. There's an investigation underway that is supposed to show that. Um, they'll review the video footage and and see if it was an appropriate use of the officer's deadly force. Got it. So Johnson did not die on scene, but was taken to a hospital where he later succumbed to his injuries. While that investigation is underway, Ray and Faircloth are on administrative leave, um, and and then they will decide how to move forward. Like I mentioned earlier, these officers were involved in a shooting in February. Ray is 54 and Faircloth is 26, and they were two of three officers who responded to a call in February that ended with them discharging their weapons. They did have someone else with them at the time. That was Officer Lindsey Kaufman. Uh, There was no death in this incident, and everyone was placed on administrative leave. 
Uh, the two, Ray and Faircloth, were on leave for a little over a month. It sounds like there is a lot um, left to learn on this. What was in his waistband? What, um, you know, what will the outcome of this investigation be? So will you keep us posted? I will, yes. And I'm still awaiting to hear back from uh, Police Chief Heath Helton on what, if any, thing the police department will do for officers who are involved in two of these instances within one year. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, so um, on top of all of that, you also continue to keep tabs on our city directors and and what's happening at City Hall. So um, they've wrapped up the year, um, but uh, what what are are their, their final items of business for 2023? The Little Rock Board of Directors meet every Tuesday, and December 12th, they were expected not to vote. Um, But a midday change to the schedule meant that they could vote. So they actually wrapped up their year. They're not going to meet again until January 9th, which is a pleasant surprise for many, I think, including myself. Uh, They approved some police gear. um, $1.7 million will go to a contract for new tasers. That'll come in around nearly 400 tasers. And they also approved $1 million to contract for new security cameras, and these will go at City Hall, the police department, and various city parks. Again, on crime, they did some contract renewals for youth-centered programs. These will go to things like Our House, Boys and Girls Club, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Arkansas, and others. And that's preventative programs. Sounds good. Um, Thank you for all your coverage this year of our city board. Thanks, Austin. On Thursday night, the Little Rock School District approved increased funding for the West High School. Editor-in-Chief Austin Bailey and Managing Editor Benji Hardy update us on the construction of the new school. We've been talking about the Little Rock School District a lot in recent weeks. Last night, there was a big school board meeting. Among other projects, the board voted 7-2 to to move forward with constructing a new 1,200-student high school in West Little Rock. And this has been a topic that's been in the news for a couple years now. This construction project was included in a millage that was approved by voters in 2021. So can you tell me, can you help me understand why its future was uncertain? Yeah, so everyone, I think, assumed that the, I mean, this was, this is promised to the district as a part of a package of various capital improvements when this millage was passed back in 2021, which I know you, Austin, covered at the time and, and, and others. Um, but recently there is uh, uh, the surprise new price tag that came in from Baldwin & Shell, the construction company that was that's hired to complete the project. Uh, they said that their initial estimate of $85 million had now jumped to over $153 million, so almost double the, the initial cost. And there was a lot of valid concern from board members about whether that would eat up, I mean, the lion's share of the money that the millage provided and not leave much of anything left over for all the other facilities needs across the district. I mean, the millage was supposed to be used to build this new West Little Rock High School, but it's also supposed to be used to address needs at Parkview and Central and Elementary and Middle Schools all across the Little Rock School District. So there's been, I think, a lot of heartburn on the part of um, of, of some board members, but also parents and advocates about, um, are we really going to spend this much money on this school in West Little Rock, especially when, as you've reported yourself, Austin, recently, I mean, there's some doubt about whether they'll even be able to fill up those 1,200 seats with uh, with the state's new voucher program under Arkansas Learns, potentially drawing 
uh, families in West Little Rock to private schools and, and away from the district. And I mean, the district's been facing declining enrollment for a long time. Uh, there's been a desire among families in West Little Rock, you know, understandably to, to get a high school out there for decades. But then now it seems like, I mean, yeah, building a new high school now, who knows what the future of, uh, of, of demand is out there in West Little Rock. Mm, sounds like quite a conundrum. So what did they decide yesterday? So last night, uh, they and we have Jim Ross, former school board member, who is now, you know, reporting diligently from from the board's monthly meetings. He'll have a, a we have a short report up now. We'll have a, a fuller report later. Um, the big news of the night was that they did vote uh, to to move forward with that West Little Rock High School. So during the board's November me- November meeting, they had decided to delay the vote for a month. That's when they got the the that sticker shock on the. On, on the new price tag from the construction company, but um, they decided to, to delay until December. Uh, the thought was that they probably would eventually approve it, and that is indeed what happened last night. Uh, the district district staff also came back and told the board that after negotiating with Baldwin and Shell and like making some some changes to plans, the price tag fell from 153 million down to about 145 million. So a little bit of a decrease, though not exactly a game changing one. Uh, the board also voted to do several other important things, one of which is to establish a parent welcome center at the Hall High School campus. So they hope to uh, put move student registration functions over there from its current location on Sherman Street and eventually consolidate various other functions that are sort of scattered around the district into Hall, which has a lot of unused empty space right now. And then uh, one other item I'll mention is they, they approved plans to establish a pre-K through five center for autism at Western Hills Elementary. That's big news for that school because that was one of the first ones that's sort of on the chopping block for potential closure. And so it looks like Western Hills is going to remain open for now. That's good. It's a sweet little school. Well, at least we have a plan. Um, Thanks. Thanks for that. Yesterday in a special session, the State Board of Corrections voted to suspend with pay the Secretary of Corrections, Joe Porfiri. It's part of a brewing dispute between the board and the governor and the legislature. Managing Editor Benjamin Hardy and Austin Bailey discuss at length what's going on. So, Austin, um, perhaps the biggest news of the week uh, in Arkansas is this sort of out of left field crisis. I mean, to us at least. Like, I, don't, I think before November, this was not on anybody's radar for something that was like about to blow up. But uh, it has now. Uh, so there's a at the Department of Corrections and the Board of Corrections, there's um, maybe constitutional crisis is too strong, but definitely some, uh, I mean, some questions about constitutional authority and the role of the board versus the secretary and the governor. So what exactly what exactly is going on over there? Sure. I wish I could tell you with certainty, but here's what it looks like to me. So During the legislative session this year, Arkansas lawmakers passed Act 185, and what what it did was quite simply remove the power uh, from the Board of Corrections to hire and fire the correction secretary and awarded that power to the governor. So, you know, pretty straightforward, and we didn't hear a lot about it at the time, or I didn't, Uh, but, but here we come in the fall, and the new uh, correction secretary, Perfiri, is in place. Jo- that's Joe Perfiri. He's from out of state. He right? is. He came to us from Arizona. Uh, he was the deputy director of prisons there. 
served um Gretchen Conker is also from there uh the um Sanders chief of staff we have two Arizonans it was a, a red state and then has has flipped and you know that leaves some Republican operatives in, in in search of a job and Arkansas just happened to have some so he came here from Arizona he's he's a you know a tough on crime type and um that matches um, that matches the Sanders administration pretty well. And, and, and then they, they, they passed the legislature, the state Arkansas legislature passed some laws that, mm-hmm. you know, sure. Um, um, that right. Uh, to keep folks in prison longer, uh, to create, uh, more prison beds so we can lock more people up. Uh, it's, it's very much like a tough on crime message, uh, coming strong from our attorney general, Tim Griffin, from the governor and from a lot of Republican lawmakers who are very, you know, um, law and order. And, um, their contention is that, you know, locking more people up longer will, will make us safer. Just to back up a little bit on, on this issue, you know, so Arkansas is, I think we've, there's stats that show it's like the fifth highest incarceration mm-hmm. rate in, in the country. Um, that said, I mean, this, this overcrowding issue has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, prisoners have been, the state has been sending prisoners to county jails, this county backup oh. inmate thing forever and, mm-hmm. and paying the count, paying counties to keep them, which is um, bad in all sorts of ways. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, right. Um, you know, as, as some, some critics of this plan to lock more people up for longer have noted uh, if, if that system had been working, then we would be in pretty great shape already. And, and our crime statistics suggest that we are not. So, uh, but yes, it's, it's, it's long been a practice uh, for, for county jails to, um, to house state inmates simply um, because there's not enough room. Um, you know, some, some counties, you know, rely on that income to, to, to help with their budget. But, it, but it's, it's long been the system that we've had. Um, so, so I think there is like, like general agreement in the, this world of prisons, which, you know, um, is sort of its own, is its own world. Like that, that this, the system is, is overcrowded. They need, they need more beds. They need more capacity of some kind. Um, changing the rules to make it, you know, harder for people to get parole or, you know, locking more people up seems like an odd way to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. to address that problem. Sure, sure. but in any case, you know, there does seem like there's yeah general agreement that, that they need more beds. And then now the secretary, Secretary Perfiri is like, all right, we have this plan to add more beds in the short term before building this new prison somewhere down the road. But for some reason, the Board of Corrections has not been right. so amenable to that. So what happened uh, was the, the Board of Corrections has some concerns about uh, making sure that they can staff these new beds Um you know, not having adequate staff and infrastructure creates significant danger to prisoners and prison staff. And um, uh, Board of Corrections members have, have said, you know, it's our priority and our responsibility to do any expansions, um, you know, safely um, and that meet the requirement. I, th- uh, I think I recall, like, was was one proposal, like, Using sort of like a prison gymnasium to temporarily yes, house and that one, and- yeah, yep, yep. So that one actually, I believe, it, it, it passed. Okay. So what happened was uh, Perfiri wanted to uh, add a lot of beds and 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 a few different places. I think um, a- around the state, 
it it was maybe not on the agenda for that day last month. Um, that was the November sixth board meeting mm-hmm. of the board of corrections, right? And um, board members agreed to take it up uh, as an item of discussion and, and passed a couple of, of the pieces of the proposal, but not all of them. Um, and they didn't seem to be completely resistant, but they needed to, to check a few things to make sure there was adequate staff, that there was adequate infrastructure. Right. I, re- I recall you went back and reviewed the the audio or video from that board meeting afterwards because you're like, is this, was this, did they reject Perfiri's recommendations? And and it didn't seem like it was a big blow up at the time. Right. So the governor and the attorney general and some lawmakers had a kind of a surprise attack press conference after that meeting. On November 17th. Mm -hmm. And um, my understanding is that the, the board of corrections you know, was not notified that this was going to happen. Um, and it was really just kind of, you know, an attack on the Board of Corrections, um, accusations that they were soft on crime and that they had refused to add prison beds and that their actions were putting us all in danger. So the reaction um, from the Board of Corrections was seemed to be surprised that, you know, um, th- that that um, instead of you know kind of hashing it out in in an office or over the phone, it happened via press conference as publicly as possible. Right, basically. they got put on blast. I mean, absolutely. Benny Magnus, the chair of the Board of Corrections, is is not exactly you know a bleeding heart liberal. He is a former Baxter County Sheriff who ha- uh, was appointed by Mike Huckabee. He's uh, you know, our current governor's dad. And, you know, he helped campaign for, for Sarah Sanders. So this rift is, is kind of a big deal and it's kind of unexpected. Okay. So, so what happened after the November press conference where the governor and, and Profiri and company were kind of going after the Board of Corrections? So the governor and Profiri continued to pursue adding these beds that continued to be their priority. Uh, the Board of Corrections started to pursue uh, hiring their own outside counsel since they found themselves at odds with the state attorney general who is supposed to be their counsel. Uh, And uh, it sort of deteriorated from there. Um, It sounds like the the Board of Corrections and the Secretary of Corrections are continue to be at odds. And um, so at a meeting, a specially held meeting yesterday, the Board of Corrections uh, decided uh, to suspend Profiri with pay as they work through uh, the conflict that is that that they're facing, um, having this disagreement about um, how and when to, to add beds, and also over you know whether uh, Profiri reports to them or not. Yeah. So, so at, kind of at, at the heart of all of this is this 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 question about this constitutional amendment in, in the state constitution that was passed way back in 1942. And it, it kind of, kind of, it's supposed to insulate some state boards from direct oversight from the governor or the legislature. It's like, I think like universities, for example, the U of A system board is an example. And then the board of corrections is another example where those members are appointed to terms by the governor, but the governor can't just fire them all and, and, and so on. Um, and the question is, what, who actually has control over the, the secretary, the person who is sort of the executive running the show at, in, in the whole prison system? Sure. So a piece of this Amendment 33 uh, specifically says that 
the legislature or the governor may not diminish the power of any of these boards. And by removing from the Board of Corrections the power to hire and or the power to fire um their, the secretary of corrections, I would, you know, you could argue, well, that is diminishing their power, which then would be at odds, arguably, with this Amendment 33. Um, and the Board of Corrections filed a lawsuit yesterday uh, making that exact contention. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it seems like inevitable it's going to be resolved by the state Supreme Court. Right. And considering the makeup of, of our state Supreme Court, uh, I, I'm interested to see how it goes. Right. We'll see. Yeah. And then I, you were saying, I think that you reached out to the to the Department of Corrections today to see if Joe Perfieri did show up for work today after being um, suspended by this board that he says has no authority to suspend him. So did he? Mm, no show Joe today. <laughs> okay. He did not. He did not come to work today. At least not to headquarters. That is that is the report from Dinah Tyler at the Department of Corrections. Got it. So we will be watching. After this segment was recorded, the state court sided with the Board of Corrections over Joe Perfieri. So says Pulaski County Circuit Judge Patty James, who on Friday afternoon issued a temporary restraining order requested by the Board of Corrections. We'll continue to follow the developments. Finally today, Benji and I have some endorsements. So let's let's just let's just jump into the endorsements. So Benji, uh, you have an endorsement for us. Well, sort of. I um, it's it's a bit a bit scattered, but um, some. uh, Let me start over. Yeah. So uh, I have begun reading. I haven't gotten that far actually, but I've 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 started reading, and I'm really impressed by uh, a graphic novel by. Joe Sacco, uh, Palestine, it's called. Um, it's sort of a, in the world of, of comics and, and graphic novels. It is thought of as a bit of a landmark, as, as I understand it. Uh, it was p- originally published in the 90s as, in serial form, but it has since been compiled into a, to a full bound edition. Um, it's, the author's, it's about the author's travels in, in the occupied territories in the West Bank in um, in Palestine slash Israel when he was uh, was a younger man. And he spent about six weeks traveling around interviewing people and, and so on. But um, it is, I mean, it's, it's a great piece of reporting. I mean, it's like a great piece of narrative storytelling. And I think like also, I mean, shows the ability of a comic to, to you know, to do something that, that both, that other forms of art forms of art can't do, you know, always a sort of ongoing discussion in the world of comics. But like, there's something about, I think, the way that he conveys a, uh, a story, you know, in, in image form that um, allows you to inhabit uh, the issue in a way that that I don't get from either a written report or a documentary or, or a podcast or, um, or what have you, you know. So, um, since the eruption of, of the terrible ongoing um, violence in, in Gaza um, in October, um, his book has been on back order. So I recently saw that, that it's being republished, and, um, but it's, it's in great demand right now and for good reason. So I would suggest that whenever it's, it is available again, that people check it out. Okay. Uh, is it your personal copy that you have? Yeah, I did. I, I ordered a copy. Um, 
and, and another as, as, as a gift for my girlfriend um, a couple of months ago. It took a while for them to arrive, but, um, but I, I did manage to get them. Okay. Oh, so you have two copies. I have two copies, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to steal one. You can. Okay. Um, I have an endorsement. So as listeners may or may not know, since 20, I don't know, 16 or 17 or so, uh, I've been curating the Arkansas Times film series. And so this month at Riverdale 10 VIP Cinema, so this, this month we're screening Douglas Sirk's Imitation of Life from 1959. Mm. That's a remake of an earlier film. And recently I saw on Twitter someone had it on their list for um, one of the Best films about America by a non-American. So Douglas Sirk is German. Hmm. He immigrated to America in the 1930s because his second wife was Jewish, and so they were they left to avoid Nazi persecution. Hmm. And he was a he was in film and theater in Germany. When he came here, he got into the Hollywood system, and he worked here for about 20 years. An Imitation of Life is actually the last Hollywood feature that he did before going back to Europe. Um, and not really doing a whole lot after that. I think he did a, maybe a, an independent film or something like that. But his last major feature was Imitation of Life. And it's about these two families, uh, single parent households, these women with their daughters, one white, one black, who end up living together. Uh, and the black woman's daughter is light enough that she can pass. And so it's about the conflict and tension from that. And also just the way that these two different families have to navigate society mm-hmm. uh, because of race. This is set. This is set where in New York. Um, it's set on the East Coast. Okay. So, like, so the the white woman she wants to be an actor. So she starts out modeling and gets then gets into acting on stage and then in film. And so that's sort of the trajectory of her career. And the black woman essentially becomes her maid. Um, and what's interesting about it is the way she's sort of taken for granted. But it's sort of okay with that because when we meet them at the beginning, she's essentially homeless. Mm-hmm. And then the white woman lives in like a one bedroom apartment with her daughter. Um, and so as her fortunes rise, the other family is taken care of, but there's still this tension there. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the film is there's a, there's a part where the black woman is, is sort of explaining her social ties, like what she does when she's not in the house and working and how she has this Mm -hmm. whole life where she's on these different boards and committees with the church and everything. And the white woman says something like, I didn't know you did all that. And she's like, you never asked. Mm -hmm. And so, and like that's sort of at the heart of it too. Um, And then also it's just like one of these great works of melodrama. And what's interesting is when I was reading about it to write the piece that's in the, um, the preview for the times, I didn't realize that Douglas Sirk just thought of the whole thing. uh, sort of like not cynically, but it's ironic. And mm. so are you familiar with melodrama? Like it's big, uh, bold emotions. I mean, and, as a general concept. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he was very consciously playing with the form. Ah, okay. Um, and so I think Cirque can be a melodrama in general, be kind of an acquired taste, but once you acquire it, I think you can really appreciate it. Um, I mean, it sounds like such a, I mean, contemporary, Synopsis yeah. you gave, but when was this made? Again? 1959. Wow. Yeah. And it's a remake of an earlier film. So it's a story that has been around for a while. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, tell us again when, when that is screening. That is Tuesday, December 19th uh-huh. at the Riverdale 10 VIP this Cinema. This coming uh, seven week. o'clock. Yes. This coming yeah. week, seven o'clock. All right. Yeah. And you've been hosting this, this, um, not every month, but but pretty close to it um, for like series for since when now? I, I want to say 2016 or 17. Um, you know, it was monthly. Then we took a, 
hiatus for a couple of years for COVID. Right. And then we started back last year um, and it's been monthly for all of 2023. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's a great series. I mean, I, we, I make it as often as I can, um, but um, we plan to be there on Tuesday. Awesome. Thank you.